Welcome to Still Pretty, a Buffy the Vampire Slayer podcast from Chipperish Media. I'm story expert and human fighting back, Lonnie Diane Rich. And I'm film scholar, Noelle LaCroix. And I'm dirty. I'm bad with the sex and the envy and the loud music us kids listen to nowadays. And we're here today to talk about Anne, the first episode of season three. Anne aired on September 29th, 1998 and was written and directed by Joss Whedon. Between us, we've seen Buffy 11 skillion times. Most of that is Lonnie. <laughs> but we're still going to talk about anything that happens in the entire show and possibly even over on Angel. So uh, if you are spoiler sensitive and haven't seen all of Buffy, maybe binge the entire show and then come back. It'll be so worth it. Okay. We suck at undercover. So let's go on patrol. In Anne, the Scoobies try to do some vampire slaying sans the Slayer, and with the exception of the vamp running away instead of killing them all dead, results are about as expected. As they head home, Willow makes a wish. Wouldn't it be great if Buffy just showed up tomorrow, like nothing happened? She can't just show up. She got kicked out. Buffy, it turns out, is in Los Angeles, living in a shitty apartment and working as a waitress named Anne. Chanterelle from Lie to Me, now named Lily, comes in with her boyfriend Ricky and shows off their matching heart tattoos with the other's name inked on their arms. After a few minutes, Lily recognizes Buffy and Buffy takes off. In Sunnydale, Giles rushes off to follow yet another lead that might be Buffy, but Willow and Xander aren't as hopeful. You don't think maybe he'll find her? I think he'll find her when she wants to be found. In Los Angeles, Buffy notices an older woman on the street muttering, I'm no one, to herself. Later, Lily finds Buffy and calls her by her name. Buffy's worried that she told someone, but Lily says she wouldn't tell. She ran away too, and she understands. While they're talking, an old man muttering, I'm no one, walks into traffic, and Buffy pushes him out of the way of a car, then gets hit herself. As she rushes off, she bumps into a creepy guy named Ken, who gives her a flyer for a shelter for runaway kids. This is not a good place for a kid to be. Get old fast here. At the bronze, Xander comes up with an idea to amp up the amateur vampire slaying, using Cordelia as bait. Meanwhile, Giles reports into Joyce that his latest lead didn't yield anything, and when he tells Joyce not to blame herself for Buffy running away, she says she doesn't. She blames him. In Los Angeles, Lily finds Buffy and tells her that Ricky's gone missing and asks for Buffy's help. Can you help me? Uh, I can't. But that's who you are and stuff, right? I mean, you help people and, you know, I can't get into this. Sorry, Lily. You, you know how to do stuff. I don't. Not anymore. Buffy finally agrees to help find Ricky, and they check the blood bank where Lily and Ricky would go to give blood for money. The nurse there says there's been no sign of Ricky, but looks super shady. Buffy finds an abandoned warehouse and checks it out, and finds the body of an old man next to an empty bottle of drain cleaner. On his arm is the tattoo with Lily's name on it. Buffy reports back to Lily, who blames her. Outside, Lily cries and creepy Ken says that he knows where Ricky is, and she goes with him. Meanwhile, Buffy breaks into the blood bank and goes through the shady nurse's files and has exactly zero patience for shady nurse bullshit. You're getting yourself in a lot of trouble. 
I don't want any trouble. I just want to be alone and quiet in a room with a chair and a fireplace and a tea cozy. I don't even know what a tea cozy is, but I want one. Instead, I keep getting trouble, which I am more than willing to share. Buffy tracks the badness down to Creepy Ken and busts in looking for him, just as he's about to throw Lily through a tarry portal into a pit. Lily falls in anyway, and Buffy and Ken fall through as well. It's some kind of mine or forge with cauldrons full of molten and sparkling metal and kids slaving away. Luckily, Creepy Ken, now in full demon face, stops by to explain everything. The interesting thing, time moves more quickly here than in your reality. A hundred long years will pass here on Earth just a day. So you just work us through a two old and spit us back out. That's the plan. The demons bring Buffy and Lily out to the floor with a bunch of kids and make them answer the question, who are you, with no one. Then he gets to Buffy. I'm Buffy, the vampire slayer, and you are? Buffy sends Lily to lead the other kids out through the portal while she deals with the demons. She takes out the demon guards while an astonished Ken shouts the humans don't fight back. He orders more demon guards to subdue Buffy, and just when they have her, Lily pushes him off the platform, and Buffy uses the distraction to continue fighting. The kids get out, but before leaving, Buffy has one last quip for Ken. Hey, Ken. Want to see my impression of Gandhi? After getting safely back to this reality, Buffy hands over her job, apartment, and identity to Lily, who is now Anne. Back in Sunnydale, Joyce is fixing the dishwasher when there's a knock at the door. She opens it, and on the other side is Buffy. All right, so, Noelle, here we are, season three. We made it. Buffy has new hair, (laughs) so you always know when it's a new season. We got new hair. Everybody gets new hair in a new season. I kind of love it. Everybody gets new hair. Yep. It's very exciting. Um, So, we have this episode. What do you think of Anne? Well, this might be my most quoted episode of Buffy (laughs) in the entire show, and I forgot for the longest time that this episode is where the line that I love to use comes from, which is, uh, we gotta be, we gotta eat healthy. We can't have cake. Can we have pie? <laughs> love it. Yeah, that's a good I one. I love that's it. I use one. that all the time. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a lot, there's actually a lot that I really, really like about this episode. There's also a lot that I kind of feel like, really guys? Like it's kind of a clunky yeah. season opener in a lot of ways, but it is. Yeah. It is a little weird. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but I love, I love seeing Chanterelle again as Lily. Yes, I mm-hmm. love that character so much, and I, yeah, I, yeah. We'll talk about that. What do you think of <laughs> Anne as a season opener for season three? I actually, I like it. I like Anne. I do feel like the Sunnydale stuff in the background with Xander and Willow, Oz, Cordelia, all of that is a little bit weird. There's not really a story there. It's sort of like these little vignettes, these cute little sketches, as opposed to like actual stuff happening in Sunnydale. Um, But overall, like I really like the Buffy story. I like the way she rediscovers herself um, and, you know, kind of like solidifies her identity again, which had been fractured after all the trauma that she 
she went through at the end of season two. Um, so it's it's kind of nice. I really um, I really enjoy it overall. One of the things that I really like about it um, is kind of this sense of name and identity. Like we have you know Lily, mm-hmm. who was Chanterelle, and before that Sister Sunshine, right, right? and does not at all acknowledge whatever name she was born with, whatever name she apparently had in high school. Um, she, she, we don't acknowledge that at all, but here she is kind of in another space and, and we see her with these different identities, you know, like she's got, um, she started out with Chanterelle, which we saw in Lie to Me, mm-hmm. you know, the episode with uh, Buffy's friend from uh, from Hemery coming back and wanting to uh, to be a vampire. Uh, they got that vampire cult thing going on. She had a completely different look, you know, different clothes, different everything. Here she is in Los Angeles having, you know, presumably run away, not graduated from high school. You know, whatever her family situation was, was clearly not good, not stable for her. Um, and she's now, you know, Lily. Mm-hmm. Which is which is interesting. Mushroom, of course, Chanterelle. <laughs> Lily, of course, also grown from the ground. Um, but then we have her at the end, you know, taking on the identity of Anne. Mm-hmm. And so we see her kind of trying on identities with these names and how names are so closely tied to identity. We have Buffy not being known as Buffy because that would kind of stand out, make it easy for, for people to find her. Mm-hmm. You know, she is Anne. Right. Um, And she's got this apartment where, you know, she doesn't have to put her name on it or she did put her name on it, used a fake name or whatever. But she doesn't care if she signed a lease. It doesn't have her identity on it. She doesn't care. You know, she has this job, which is very likely paid under the table, you know, waitressing. Um, And she's, you know, finding her way. She's like taking care of herself. She's still incredibly capable, but in this much more mundane way. So she's still Buffy, but she's also and she's just stripped of all of the things that make her the vampire slayer. You know, she's stripped out everything paranormal about herself and is just living this very normal, very mundane life. Mm-hmm. And I thought it was kind of interesting the way that we could sort of open up this story with this kind of meditation on the the importance of how we refer to ourselves, the importance of our name and our identity. And I thought that that was pretty cool. Yeah. And I love that Lily recognizes Buffy immediately Mm -hmm. you know do I know you (laughs) it's such a that's such a great moment because especially since she's when we meet Lily she's snuggled up to Ricky in the diner and they're very much into each other and of course that's the point right they have this ostensibly love story that's going to last forever because it's now Mm -hmm. tattooed on them. And Buffy is just having none of it because her Mm -hmm. forever is not that that's not going to be. I mean, we see her dream about Angel, you know, Mm -hmm. and he says, I'll never leave you even if you kill me. So she's Mm -hmm. she is grappling with the, you know, the paranormal repercussions of this kind mm-hmm. of intense one true love sort of situation that Lily and Ricky are just I mean they're not they're they're not the sharpest tools in the shed I mean really they're not right. um mm-hmm. but even in that that lovesick kind of haze that she's in, mm-hmm. Lily recognizes Buffy. And I I love that moment so much. Yeah. And mm-hmm. then Buffy has to leave. She says, I'm not feeling well. And takes off from there, being recognized mm-hmm. as 
part of this her her former life in Sunnydale is just too much yeah. at this point. She can't she can't do mm-hmm. it. Um, but I love this this meditation that we get from Lily on changing identities mm-hmm. and this idea that in our lives we go through phases. And yeah. I mean, the I think it's interesting that she goes from being Sister Sunshine you know, following following a preacher mm-hmm. to being a member of the Sunset Club and yeah. following vampires. It's almost a complete 180. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And but it's all following. She's yeah. all like somebody has to lead her. She doesn't take initiative yeah. for herself, well, you know, but it's also really interesting, too. She refers to herself in the third person. Mm-hmm. She refers to Chanterelle as a different person. Yeah. Sister Sunshine is a different person. Yeah. And I thought that was kind of neat, too. Yeah. And her I mean, even her name, even Lily, she says Ricky yeah. picked it. It's from a song. Yeah. You know, so she's mm-hmm. not she's not steering her own life at all um and it's something it's actually something i really love about lily like i feel like Mm -hmm. i really recognize this character who is running away from not just her own identity but it's the it's a kind of you know she's running away from everything it's this kind of learned helplessness where Mm -hmm. she needs someone to guide her and tell her where to go and what to do. I mean, when Buffy says, this will go faster if we split up, and she says, great, yeah. can I come with you? Right. <laughs> just, like, my heart just breaks for her because it really is, it's not that she's helpless. It's that she's mm-hmm. learned to be helpless because she doesn't have any sort of sense of her own power. And of course, Buffy yeah. is really mm-hmm. running away from her own power. Right. The, mm-hmm. the repercussions from her power right. are pretty intense and she doesn't want anything mm-hmm. to do with that. But of course, here on the other side, here on the flip side is Lily, who has no real agency, no way of supporting herself or taking care of herself. I mean, she she mm-hmm. even comes out and says, I'm not good at taking care of myself. Right. Mm-hmm. And Buffy says, gets easier, you know, with practice. And mm-hmm. I just, I, I don't know. There's something about her as a, not really a foil for Buffy, but as a kind of, you know, we talk about this a lot with other characters on the show that, you know, Buffy could have been a Cordelia. She could have right. been mm-hmm. a Faith. She could have been, you know, any number of things had things gone differently for her. And I think that in Anne, we see that she could have been a Lily. Yeah. I don't know if she ever would have been a Lily. I think cause she can't, um, she leads by nature. You know, that's who she is. She takes control. She, you know, makes things happen. I think she definitely could have been a Cordelia. But I find it interesting that at the end, like Lily has been following and following and following. And then we have her take on the identity of Anne and she is stepping into a Buffy role. And then the next time we see her is in Blood Money in Angel season two, mm-hmm. um, where she is Anne. And that is just her identity. She doesn't reference anything. She does, I think, mention that she's 
from Sunnydale. I think we get at least that. But I mean, for the purposes of angels, she could have been anybody. Like, you know, I, I don't think we, we really directly look at her past and her history. But there she's running a home for runaway teens, you know. And um and she's taking care of these kids and she is leading and and kind of taking on that identity. She is partially Buffy. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and Buffy puts her in that role when they're down in the yeah. forge or the mines or whatever the whatever the hell is. it is. What are they what are they what making? Are they what kind doing? of capitalist it doesn't thing matter. is this? Yeah. Like creating spoons. I don't know what it doesn't matter. Doing. Whatever it is. Yeah. Um yeah. and she says when Buffy gives her her you know her marching orders essentially she says you know take these people to safety and Mm -hmm. really transfers that responsibility for the safety of these runaway kids to yeah lily and that is a role that she can embody because it does give her some power and some agency so i don't know i do when i say that buffy could have been a lily i don't mean that she would necessarily have that learned helplessness but that she might Mm -hmm. she might have fallen into the kind of despair that I think we are supposed to read into Lily's story that she doesn't yeah and the rootlessness yeah she doesn't want to be where she doesn't want to be any of the the places that she's come from I mean she Buffy says what do they call you at home and Lily doesn't answer yeah so she doesn't Whatever whatever they call her at home is not something that she can speak because yeah. that is the identity that she has to run away from more so than mm-hmm. any other. Um, yeah. And I just I find myself just fascinated by her her whole backstory. Yeah. Yeah. No, she really is. She's very, very interesting. And Julia Lee, who plays the character, I think does a fantastic job with it. Um, really interesting, really fun. And when she's over an angel, you can see, you know, like how she has actually evolved. It's a very motivated, you know, evolution for her from one character to another. Um, but in this episode, I think we get some really fantastic Buffy. I mean, Buffy is clearly, you know, withdrawn and um, still upset, obviously, over what happened with Angel, still unable to kind of face everything and, and in hiding, you know, not just from uh, from other people, but also from herself. Mm-hmm. You know, she's not Buffy in Los Angeles. She is just Anne. She doesn't, you know, she's not fighting demons. She's not dealing with any of this stuff. And when Lily first comes to her and asks her for help, she's like, no, I'm, I'm minding my own business. Yeah. I don't get involved in this stuff. But then she can't help it. You know, somebody is coming to her for help and she's going to help them because she still remains Buffy, even when she's trying really hard just to be Anne. Yeah. You know? So um, I love how she becomes Buffy, but she is Buffy with a rougher edge. She's Buffy with no fucks given, you know, <laughs> yes. and I actually kind of like I like that Buffy. I love when she's, you know, uh, giving her tea cozy speech to the nurse. Yes. You know, that's like one of my favorite things in the whole run of Buffy. I love when the nurse is like, what are you doing? She's like going through your private files. She's like, I'm going to call the police. Buffy just whips the phone off the wall. Yeah. And she's like, now I'm wondering what are these people candidates for? And it's just she just does not care you know and then when she goes and she tries to do the undercover thing and she's like yeah i'm just here with the sin and whatever (laughs) and then she just she just busts in it's so great and it's it's really fun to see buffy you know 
after you have those kinds of experiences, I mean, it does bring on a certain level of darkness. It does roughen the edges up a little bit. Um, you can't be bothered with bullshit as much, yeah. you know? And uh, and this is Buffy. This is who she is. She's still capable. I mean, she's still a kid. She's, what, 17 mm-hmm. now? Yeah. You know, she's still a kid. She's still, um, you know like running shit she is an adult you know already she is and you know that point where uh where creepy ken says you know you grow up so fast here Mm -hmm. you know um and and she's just she's already grown up yeah you know she is still technically a kid but she is completely grown up because she had to and it was you know it was fast yeah i like that we have this this sort of two sides of not being great at lying on the one hand we've got Buffy, who just is just has no time for it. She's seen too much. She's been through too many things. She can't be bothered. It's I'm going through your personal files. That's what I'm doing. And then on the other hand, we have the Scoobies who are never good at lying. Like I they never it never (laughs) works for them. I mean, the closest Mm -hmm. that we've gotten at this point is Cordelia in Killed yeah. by Death, working her magic on the security guard. Yeah. And yeah. I just, I kind of love this, that there's a sort of innocence that make not innocence, but a, a more childlike quality that makes it difficult to lie right. effectively. And then there's this much more adult experienced side of things where what is even the point of right, exactly. lying or being undercover? Um I just think that's fascinating that we have these two sides of hiding or um, trying to conceal the truth. And it never yeah. really works. I mean, the truth is going to come it out. It never works. The truth always, always comes out. And I find it really funny that Cordelia, our truth teller, right, is the one who's actually good at lying. <laughs> well, and what's funny about that is that she's not lying necessarily she is she's just working she's working it she is Mm -hmm. she's improvising in the best way possible um yeah but speaking of lying speaking of of folks not telling the truth something that really rubs me the wrong way in this episode Mm -hmm. from a storytelling standpoint is ken and how genuine and open he seems in that first scene with mm-hmm. Buffy. Yeah. And what a what a turn that is when we discover that he's a demon, that he's not on the I mean even before we discover he's yeah, a demon. Yeah, I mean does he not seem completely shady and creepy to you in that opening? No, he doesn't. Scene I mean, okay. Okay. Maybe not not he seems he seems very um a little bit too sincere. But I also yeah. feel like mm-hmm. I know that person. Like, I I know the person who is so um, invested in their own work of, for lack of a better phrase, saving people that, yeah. you know, they really do just, it's that tone of like, I really do just want to connect with you. Like, mm-hmm. I really do, I really do just care very deeply about everyone here like that that scene I don't Mm -hmm. get creepiness from him I get a 
sincere, maybe overly sincere, but a sincere mm-hmm. desire to connect with Buffy and with this community where, you know, these kids who apparently have nowhere else to go um, congregate. Mm-hmm. And there's a there's a really... I don't know. There's a much deeper story there. You know, what what is it about this community and who are these kids and how many of them, you know, how many of them are escaping abusive uh, homes and families? Right. And we get a moment's meditation on that, this really weird sequence where they've got all the shots of the kids. And actually one of them, the woman, the the girl who's got her her arms wrapped around herself while she's standing in the street in Los Angeles Mm -hmm. is used in the opening sequence of Angel the whole run through. Um, And it's so weird because whenever I see that, I'm always like, oh, my God, that's right. They bought it from here and they put it into Angel. Um, which is kind of interesting. But, you know, but we have that moment where it's, you know, it's like we transition, we've got the song that's being uh, sung at the bronze, but we're using it over all of these images of, you know, of kids living in the street. Mm -hmm. And, and it's, it's such a weird kind of space for that kind of meditation on, you know, runaway kids. And I don't know why it always strikes me as so, so strange and so almost like the more you know after school special kind of feel yeah, to it. It's weird. It does feel strange. Um I grew up in the LA area and yeah. there are a lot of or there were when I was living there, there were a mm-hmm. lot of homeless folks. Um mm-hmm. you know, people experiencing homelessness or uh living on the streets for any variety of reasons. So mm-hmm. it didn't it doesn't feel inaccurate but it does feel kind of oddly out of place and like we're trying to say something that we never really get around to saying (laughs) like right and the thing is that like the if you've got if you've got something that you want to say if you've got a statement that you want to make about homeless kids you know and we do talk about that a little bit you know in here where he's like you know i i took the children that no one would miss you know all that kind of stuff um and the invisibility of these of these kids. I mean, of of people who are housing insecure in general, mm-hmm. um, we tend to very much make them invisible. Um, and uh, but but you know, kids specifically that that there are these children that nobody will miss, and so they're easy to take. So I think that like making that commentary within the story itself is where it belongs. But having this weird music video transition, um, especially transitioning into back at Sunnydale. Yeah. It feels like there's there's some there should be some reflection on these kids without homes and we go back to, you know, Xander and Willow and Cordelia and Oz. Um but it, but there really isn't a connection between those stories. There isn't a reflection yeah. there. Yeah. You know? Um so it was all just it all just felt a little bit weird. Um and like it didn't really belong in there. Yeah. Yeah. But Ken strikes you as creepy right out right out of the game. Oh okay. yeah, right out. But but that kind of stuff always strikes me as creepy. <laughs> like anybody, you know, and it's not that like anybody who's helping kids is you know doing it for the wrong reasons or whatever. I'm absolutely not saying that. But in storytelling, whenever you have somebody who is so like absolutely doing the right and proper thing, there are always creeps. 
Like it's always, there's always that twist. Like, you know, we never have anybody who's good capital G and actually genuinely capital G good. Um, So I think that like, there's something about that, that just having a certain level of, of media savvy, you know, like if I see anybody who's like doing a good thing and they're not messed up in a million other ways, (laughs) then I'm just like, oh, well, that person is obviously up to, up Up to no good. Yeah. So (laughs) yeah. So for me, I think it's obviously a demon. extra textual perception that I picked up there. Um, But speaking of things that are really weird and maybe don't necessarily belong, um, did you read Nazis in these demons or was that just me? No, no, I definitely read Nazis in the demons. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. There was the outfits, the work camp of the devaluing of human life, you know, Uh, the masks of skin, which I presume were human. I don't even Uh, know what to do with that. That demon who asks the kids, who are you, is the stuff nightmares are made of. Oh, absolutely. Makeup. My God. And then he's got he's like got a. I don't know. It's like a. It looks like a human skin face mask yeah. that's been yeah. stitched. Yeah. Oh yeah. my god! Probably, probably one of the most terrifying things we've seen so far. No, it absolutely is. And the thing is, there's similar imagery um, that they use in the Angel season one episode Hero, where we lean even more heavily on on the Nazi thing. Yes. You know. Um, yes. But, you know, we've talked before about how religious iconography comes pre-charged with mysticism, right? You know, and when you use it without acknowledging everything that it represents and everything that it comes from, it feels a little bit like cheating. It feels like we're pulling in these pre-charged, you know, icons, but we're not really talking about what they mean. You know, we're just, we're just taking advantage of the charge, Mm -hmm. you know? And I think the same thing happens with Nazis. Nazis come pre-charged with just ultimate evil, you know, and so we've got these demons who have this kind of Nazi-ish look around them, you know, Um, and the reason that, of course, Nazi references, visual references to to Nazis um, come pre-charged with evil are because Nazis were fucking evil, like they killed a lot of people. Um, They killed the Roma, the Poles, people with disabilities, black people, homosexuals, Jehovah's Witnesses, I mean, everything, But, but clearly most viciously went after Jewish people. And I think that for me, my problem with referencing Nazis without acknowledging like the entire context of it is that um, the Nazis killed Jewish people. Nazis are representative of anti-Semitism, but anti-Semitism is one of the forms of discrimination and oppression that we really don't look at directly a lot. We you know, kind of erase it culturally. And because of that erasure, because of the fact that we don't recognize anti-Semitism for what it is, for the evil that it in itself is, um, when we borrow Nazi imagery to come pre-charged with that evil and divorce it from its historical context, um, to me, it feels like even more erasure. Now, I'm not saying that you know, that you can't use um, 
you know, like, like images of evil, like there are images of evil and the way that evil kind of perpetuates itself in this. Um, but it's, it's simply because we don't, I think, recognize or acknowledge anti-Semitism when it shows up in the way that we will recognize and, you know, like racism or misogyny or, you know, anti-LGBTQ, you know, issues. Um, anti-Semitism is one of the things that we still kind of, you know, that and like, um, you know, like fat shaming and this kind of stuff. Like those are things that we we often don't recognize as quickly as readily, and that erasure culturally combined with this erasure specifically in this instance makes me really uncomfortable. And I'm wondering what you think about that. Like, am I being oversensitive to that? I don't know that you're being oversensitive to it, but I do I do think that an issue that not just Buffy has, but really any media. Um, yeah. When using, you know, when you're using symbols and imagery that is, you know, familiar in a particular way to yeah. suggest one thing. So here we're using Nazis. Nazis equal evil. Right. Right. You mm -hmm. know, good shorthand, good visual shorthand. Yeah. However, yeah. <laughs> yeah. however, that visual shorthand comes along with other history and um you know there's there's much more there than just nazis equal evil so it right. feels mm -hmm. in this instance i don't know that it feels insensitive to me so much as it just feels kind of clunky like well yeah no it feels and, and to me i don't know like i'm not sure where like I, I don't really have this nailed down, like where my problem is with this. But it is similar to that religious iconography being being precharged by something else and then you borrow it without acknowledging what charged it in the first place. And it feels like cheating. Mm -hmm. And here, leaning so heavily on this Nazi imagery, you know, without acknowledging, I think, something that we do tend to make invisible deliberately like it wouldn't bother me if we acknowledged in our culture the the anti-semitism that's there and if we did something about it you know like it wouldn't bother me so much if culturally we weren't doing these things that we do um so for me it's very much an extra textual problem rather than necessarily a severe criticism on this instance of it itself does that make totally. sense Totally makes sense. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I mostly got bunched up in the textual, what the hell is even going on here? <laughs> um, right. like, what even, what even is this? Like, I get, mm -hmm. I get that these demons are demons and Ken talks a little bit about hell and the absence of hope. And is he trying to create hell like I'm so confused I mean and that's right. another thing like he's clearly okay maybe, maybe I shouldn't say clearly but to me when he approaches Buffy or when he's he's approaching the kids on the street he's got this mm -hmm. very um oh what like He's got this very sort of not quite smarmy, but I mean, he calls himself a square, like this sort of right. olden. Mm -hmm. He's got this kind of like olden timey preacher vibe in in a yeah. way, but also yeah. sort of the 
I mean, this is what, 1998? He's got the kind of like mm-hmm. cool Christianity vibe, <laughs> right. like, you know, cool, cool Jesus who's hanging out with homeless cool kids. Cool Jesus, right. You know, yeah. so mm-hmm. there's something, there's something there um, for mm-hmm. me in the like, I don't know, like, I feel like we're almost saying something. We never, we never bring up Christianity or. Christ. Yeah, not yeah this is not mm-hmm. this isn't this isn't a family home isn't a Christian establishment as far as we can tell with this this right. um mm-hmm. facade that Ken has put up. Right. But hell is a very specifically like hell the way that Christian yeah, reference, well right? hell yeah. in the way that Ken talks about it when they're there mm-hmm. in the mm-hmm. the absence of yeah. hope, you know, the connection to despair and hell mm-hmm. and separation from, I mean, despair is the belief that even God can't help you. Right. So, mm-hmm. and then hell, you know, some people have said hell is the separation, the total separation from God. So we're kind of borrowing mm-hmm. this, like God is hope. Like again, mm-hmm. it's the, it's the, Borrowing imagery and language, and I'm not totally sure what we're saying with all of that. Yeah. It feels... Yeah, whether there's a real commentary on it, but it does seem avoided. Like, I mean, you know, we Sunnydale's not a hell mouth. Right. You know, I mean, we, we borrow this stuff liberally without really talking yeah. about it. Um, and I think that that's... A, and also, like, I don't know, like, the evil is so evil. I mean, they're wearing masks of skin, you know, <laughs> and they're beating them yeah. and they're saying, you are no one, you are no one. But the fact of the matter is that, like, they're running these kids like batteries, right? You know, they bring them down and, and these kids are living long enough in this alternate dimension. It's a day or so on, on Earth time, mm-hmm. but it's, you know, 50, 60 years years for them right like beating them and working them that way and keeping them in cells is not the best way to keep them working well and had he like in the demon part of it you know been using them that way and then still selling it as this is something that's like here where were you going to go what were you going to do here you make us money everything's great you know and that these kids are like i i I almost would have been more interested in a more like layered kind of gaslighty evil um from this demon um especially because he was so good at playing the empathetic you know cool preacher guy right um but at the same time like they chose what they chose and they went for full on you know like Devil full forge. Yeah. Like... Yes, exactly. And that's and that's fine too. Yeah. Like that's a choice, definitely. It's just that I think I, I would have been more interested in something maybe, you know, like a, a little bit in between that still had kind of the gaslighty thing to because you want to keep them going so that they work for you as long as possible. But they all manage to get old like really yeah. fast. But he doesn't drain them really fast in like a couple of days. Like he said, the time is different. And, you know, and we'll run out to the the hell math idea on buffering the vampire slayer uh, where they they figure (laughs) out how this stuff like relates and they do the hell math. I can't do math. I can't figure it out. Like uh, it goes way beyond me. So that's the timey wimey stuff. I can never (laughs) wrap my mind around. Um, But I mean, like he's in presumably in this pit. He's running them all. But everybody in there is young. Mm hmm. So, like, does he run them for a certain period of time and then when he returns them, they get old because they would have been old? I don't know. I don't understand how all of it works. Um, but it seems to me like not the most efficient way. If if your objective is to have them, you know, carry around your molten 
you know, Molten metal whatever. Or whatever yeah. the hell they were doing. Yeah, what the hell are they making? I don't even know. Like, what are you making that's getting so much money on it's the streets? It's like you know, work in Los for Angeles? work's sake, apparently. It's yeah, just, it really does it's seem. Work. It really does seem evil for evil. Yeah, sake. and if he had given us a speech about how, like, if we if we were talking about roles in society, right? Because Buffy is yeah. trying to escape, among other things, her destiny, her mm-hmm. role in the big picture. Um, mm-hmm. If Ken had given us some rap about like what your role is in society, yeah. and this is like you are, you know, you are nothing, you are no one. Your role essentially is to work with no pay and no comfort and no joy Mm -hmm. and then go back out to the street and die, we could be... You know, we could be making some commentary on right. Work. We're not we're not working the metaphor. Yeah, we're not working the metaphor. It's just you could fall down through a tarry pit and it's evil. Right. It's right. Just, right. Right. It's just a yeah. Pit we of just evil. we right. just evil. Yeah. It's just mm-hmm. evil because I mean that and that brings us to the connection to L.A. You know the the mm-hmm. world above. What what the actual fuck is going on with these file folders with kids who? donate blood and then they're put into some system that can then targets them what the hell is going on like what? well they donate blood for yes. money at the right. thing the shady nurse who we'll talk about in just a second <laughs> the shady nurse um sends you know gives ken the names of the ones that are that are healthy enough to work yeah. for him i yeah, guess but and then he comes and grabs them and yeah what i don't know <laughs> what it's weird is it's I mean, weird it's all weird i mean the whole the 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 thesis of the episode seems to be the adult world divorced from the paranormal as represented by la is just the absolute worst i mean yeah. we've got people people are yeah. the worst is basically yeah, the theme pretty much <laughs> like like normal normal humans with no connection to the paranormal mm-hmm. Are the absolute worst, yeah. and then the paranormal is maybe the second absolute worst. Well, and the paranormal is the most like deliberate yes. evil, you know. But here we have like the shady nurse, right? Which we just did a couple episodes ago and go fish. Yeah, right? we had a shady nurse there, you know, helping out the bad guy. And I'm like, why? Like, what are you getting money? You know, I mean, why does this show hate nurses? Nurses are good people. Nurses are really good people. Nurses are some of the yes. best people. Nurses are um, the best. I yes. have a theory. It's not a nice mm-hmm. theory. Um, mm-hmm. And the short answer is misogyny. Oh, yeah. I mean, the longer answer is that historically, nursing is one of the few ways that women could have any power at all. Mm-hmm. Um, you yeah. know, I'm using the biggest air quotes you've ever seen here, but, you know, it's one of the real jobs that a woman could go out and get. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And mm-hmm. from an exploring taboos kind of standpoint, nurses have a lot of power. I mean, they carry clipboards <laughs> and needles and they can poke you with uh-huh. things. I mean, nurses like that's you nurses are people that you need to be able to trust. <laughs> and yes, you know, absolutely. because they are their job is to take care of you i mean nurses do nurses do most of the the caring in Mm -hmm. medical situations you know doctors will swoop in and and do 
you know, doctors give the orders, nurses do yeah. the job. Like nurses actually nurses, are the ones that are taking yeah. care of you all the time. And you're never more vulnerable than you are with a nurse. Yeah. Like a nurse can mess you up if she wants <laughs> They will to. take your fucking blood. I mean, they really will. <laughs> yeah, but, right. But I, know. I think that there's something about, you know, a woman in power and twist, you know, misogyny says like, well, that's mm-hmm. not okay. We need to make this corrupt. Right. Um, because, yeah, I mean, women with power are scary. <laughs> Yeah, I guess. I guess. So. I mean, I think that, or you know, people also have all kinds of medical trauma. I mean, if you get a nurse who's, yeah. if you get a nurse who's not great, that can be a really mm-hmm. negative experience. And then, yeah, no, that's that's really terrible. Although my experience has been, nurses have been great. Doctors are. And apologies to any doctors out there. I'm sure you're lovely. Doctors are assholes. (laughs) My experience with doctors, my personal experience with doctors may not be. I'm sure it's not universal. There are lovely doctors out there. But my personal experience with doctors has just been awful. I had a kid, you know, with asthma. And the nurses, whenever we were in the hospital, were awesome. And the doctors would come in. They wouldn't listen to anything. They'd just take a look at the chart, make their thing. And it was awesome awful i mean we had some good ones we definitely had some good ones but overall i trusted the nurses and i spoke to the nurses and then i had the nurses speak to the doctors because doctors wouldn't listen to me yeah you know yeah and drove me crazy as a mother advocating for your child who can't fucking breathe like that's (laughs) awful so um so anyway like i guess i understand why some people dislike nurses maybe but i don't know doctors in general have been in my experience a lot worse but you know what if you're a shady nurse on the take and need to karmically launder your ill-gotten gains, why not throw a little of that sweet demon cash to Chipperish Media? As a patron supporter, you get access to exclusive content from all the Chipperish hosts, access to the Discord server with lots of smart people talking about pretty much everything, and the good night's sleep that comes with knowing that you've done a good thing to help keep Chipperish podcasts ad-free and the hosts well-paid. $3 a month is one cup of coffee, and it makes it possible for us to keep going and bringing you awesome demon-free content. So go to patreon.com slash Chipperish to find out how you can soothe your tortured soul by doing a good deed and, and throwing us some cash. I was going to do a, a Lily-esque, hey, you got any money? Because like, <laughs> I know this guy who's having, like, it's like I, know I know this guy with a basement who's going to have a rave. Oh, poor Lily. I'm sorry. I'm just like still so hung up on that. <laughs> poor Lily. Lily's so sweet. But you know what else I love in this episode? What do you love? Giles. Oh, Giles. I've fucking love Giles. <laughs> God, in the beginning when he's talking to Willow and he's like, if anything should happen to you, if you should be killed, I would take it somewhat oh, amiss. Oh my God. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, Giles, like trying to take care of them, you know, watching out for them. And at the same time, just all he wants to do is find Buffy. He's going on all of these leads. I mean, he is a dad, yeah. you know, and he is doing what he has to do to find her and to keep her safe. Meanwhile, we have Joyce. What? Who I hate in this episode. Why? So much. I don't. So much. First of all, she's like, I can't leave. I can't. What if she calls? You know, Um, and Giles, who is going out and actually actively looking for Buffy and trying to find her, she's like, No, I blame you. Uh, Whatever the fuck, Joyce, what are you doing to find your daughter? Right. 
You know, you're sitting there and letting Giles do it and letting Giles feel all of this, you know, and trying to help you out, trying to take care of her, you know. And then Giles nicely says, I didn't make her who she is. And then Joyce is like, well, who is she exactly? Well, fuck you, Joyce. Why don't you ask her and find out when you had a chance, you know, to talk to her about it. Instead, you said, don't even think about coming back. I'm sorry. I don't think it's Giles who said that to Buffy. That was you. So yeah, Giles was not Joyce, the one who kicked ugh. Buffy out of the house. Out of the house. Like that's not I mean God. I don't We talk about this all the time and we're just going to keep talking about it. What the fuck, yeah. Joyce? Like Joyce is not yeah. written like a fully realized character. Like she's really no. it, Joyce is just whatever needs to be happening with Buffy's mom that week and it's yeah. So frustrating and so ridiculous because they really, I mean, Christine Sutherland is a gem. She's amazing. Yeah, no, she's She fantastic. does yeah. everything with the nothing they give her. The problem is not Christine yeah. Sutherland. It is this fucking character. And Yeah, she's a conflict vending machine. It's just, what do we need? We need Giles to feel bad, so let's put Joyce on the case. We need Buffy to feel bad, so let's put Joyce on the case, you know? And the only time Joyce is allowed to not be terrible, you know, is when we don't need anybody to feel bad. But if we do, man, we're going to put Joyce on it. So, um, yeah, the thing that, like, and the thing is, in later seasons, you know, I forgive Joyce for all of this because I don't feel like any of it was genuinely her. When we start to actually see her as a character a little bit more, uh, she becomes more consistent. She's less of a vending machine. But right now, I mean, it's just it's. And so on the one hand, I'm like, fuck you, Joyce. But on the other hand, I'm like, I forgive you, Joyce, because that wasn't really, you, <laughs> you know, like that wasn't really who she is in the entirety, you know, like once they get over this vending machine nonsense with her, you know, they do write her more consistently yeah. and make her into like an actual character. But at this point, I mean, it's just, it's just yeah. stupid. So yeah, I get really, really annoyed with that. Um, one thing I really loved in this episode, though, was the rope scene. Are you familiar with I rope? Love the rope. Film? I love rope. I love. I figure you would love. know as a film scholar. Oh my gosh. So why don't you explain for the nice people about rope? <laughs> Just tell the nice people about rope. Tell the nice people about rope. So use that film oh scholarship. Oh my god! <laughs> you gonna make me flex my film scholarship for the the patrons out there? I okay. Am. All right. I am. There's a reason why I pulled you oh, on this show. Man. All right. So <laughs> rope was a 1948 Alfred Hitchcock film that Hitchcock wanted to take place in real time. Uh, as did the stage play it was based on. And so he shot Mm -hmm. it in scenes of long takes. Uh, Long take is exactly what it sounds like. No cuts. Mm -hmm. So the longest take clocked in at 10 minutes. Now, I don't know how much familiarity folks listening have with, you know, film and video and how it's shot and how you have to, you know, Mm -hmm. things have to be arranged so that you can keep that camera yeah. rolling mm-hmm. and then if anybody if anybody messes up or flubs a line you're fucked because you're not going to edit this yeah um 
No, it's complicated. Like the blocking. Oh my god! And the you know the way you got to move the camera through, and then to move the camera from the library all the way down the hall into the lobby, you know, to end on Cordelia and Xander. I mean, that is a complicated thing to do, and that takes a lot of time. When you're cutting, you can always just you know do it, and if something gets flubbed up, you just cut and you do the you know you do the the best take mm-hmm. and whatever, and that's much much simpler. This all the editing is done in the movement. Of of the camera like we have no cuts in it um and it's really really nicely done i like it a lot um also during that year in 1998 x-files did an episode called triangle in which they did rope style all triangle the way is they did a lot wonderful of wonderful triangle is amazing it's one of the best episodes yeah. of x-files uh, but that aired about eight weeks after this one did so they both had the same idea little at the same zeitgeisty time, which, of course, you know, kind discovery. of a thing happening there, there you go multiple yeah. discovery is a thing um the West Wing is famous for its long walk and talk scenes, uh, which are basically this. You know, we just move people through. We move the actors through. And they got so good at it. They did it like in every episode. Tommy <laughs> Shlami was like the master of the walk and talk, you know. Um, and so they kind of they adapted it for a very specific West Wing style approach to it. It wasn't quite as um, they usually weren't quite as um, elaborately blocked with like Larry coming in. With I his, love you know, Larry. If we can have quite not quite so many, you know, unexplained I deaths or whatever, then we're gonna love win. You know? Larry um, in this know, long take. It was so I love the, the Larry. Larry as it an was edit. Really fun. It's all about right. egg yeah, because we needed him exactly. <laughs> we needed him to kind of carry us through so that we could move everybody through into their places, and and um, it was really really fun and it's funny because i watched this episode a number of times before i even realized it was a rope Mm -hmm. take you know and i was like oh my god how cool is that you know um and it's fun to see when it happens although since the west wing walk and talks i don't think i've seen it quite as as much although there may be some other you know things things out there movies or tv shows that have have gone back to the rope take yeah Uh, but it was really fun to see it in this and it was it was three minutes and 20 seconds which is long you know which is a good yeah That's long yeah. for a for a single take. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. It's it's delightful. And I love that we get to see just all of the bustle of Sunnydale yeah. High. We don't see mm-hmm. that kind of energy in the school very often. So starting off with a new, you know, first first episode of a new season and mm-hmm. Sunnydale High is this like bustling place. There are people in the library. I mean, mm-hmm. There are tons yeah. of people in the library. What is even happening? Yeah. The the world is upside <laughs> down, Lonnie. There's like <laughs> I know. It's insane. I don't even know what's going on. Giles is busy doing actual like librarian. I know, and shit, I love you know? I love yeah. that moment when he's chatting with Willow and he's checking out her books while he's chatting. And yeah. as he sends her off, he says, You're gonna love that one. I know. Just, I it's love such it. a great little little character moment for Giles. Um, mm-hmm. but, you know, mixed in with all of this, this wild, you know, back to school, long mm-hmm. take wonderfulness. Yeah. We've got Xander and Cordelia. And yeah. I don't, I'm like, what? Really? What? What are we doing? It's just, 
<laughs> awkward and weird. Like, we've got all this stuff. I love the open, right? Where, you know, Willow and Xander and Oz are fighting vampires. Yes. You know, um, Cordelia's been gone for the summer, so she and Xander have been separated and apparently didn't have email. Nobody had the AOL CD-ROM at that point, I guess, um, in, in, you know, whatever resort she went to. Um, and, uh, yeah, so, I mean, so we have this, like, sort of background. It's not really a story happening. It's almost vignette yeah. Like, we just kind of jump back to um, to Sunnydale on occasion. You know, uh, we see Giles desperately looking for Buffy. And so that sort of has that feel of actual genuine story to it. Whereas these guys are just kind of like passing the time until Buffy gets back. And you can feel that in the Sunnydale scenes. You know, um, we have this awkwardness between Xander and Cordelia. They're both so excited to see each other again. And then when they do, it's awkward and weird. Then we have the scene at the bronze where... Uh, where Xander decides that they need uh, somebody to be bait and then brings in Cordelia's bait. And then, of course, we have the scene where... And, I mean, these basically, you know, function like the sorbet between courses, yeah. right? You yeah. know, I mean, it's just like they're a little watermelon sorbet, you know? Um <laughs> Different from the Raspberry Beret. That's a Prince thing. But um, but this is just a little bit of that. And in between these servings of Buffy's, you know, demon Nazis over yeah. uh, in Los yeah. Angeles. Yeah. Yep. Yep. So it's it's weird. And then, we, of course, we get Xander's second accidental uh, a, a vampire gets pushed into oh, him and he just Xander. happens to be holding the stake at the right part. And then he's there with the stake that just went through the uh, the vampire's heart and the Cordelia collapses on top of him. I'm like, we're really lucky that, uh, that he didn't accidentally yeah. stake too. It's a short you know? stake. Um, <laughs> and they start, you know, they start making out and everything and then you've got that. It's, um, it's really like, it's it's cute. Mm-hmm. It's whatever, but it's a lot of, it's a lot of nothing. Yeah, yeah. You know? Yeah. It's a whole lot of, we're just going to pass mm-hmm. some time with our friends in Sunnydale. Yeah. Although we get Seth Green in the opening credits. We yeah. get Oz. I love we get that. Some, I love we that. We get some Oz. Oz is a series oh regular. Oh my gosh. Yeah. <laughs> Throwing yeah. the, the drumstick. Is it a drumstick that's been whittled into a stake at yes. the vampire? That really never <laughs> works. Is it just... Kapwings it off really the, never works. Off the I know it's so but cute. It's so Oz. Cute. This weird plot with yeah. Oz coming back to school, right? And I mean, this is the thing. Like, I, I, I like, of course, that we, you know, Oz was a senior last year, so we have to explain why he's still a senior this year. And then he's like, "Yeah, remember all those incompletes? Remember?" And she's like, <laughs> "That's well, what that's summer, what summer school's for." Yeah, remember how I didn't go, and. So, I mean, the thing is that, like, and he's going through the, oh, I thought you think it was cute kind of thing. And, like, no, it's it's not cute. Like, it's completely irresponsible and not at all like Oz. Yeah. Like, Oz is the guy, like, he's in the band, but he's the one who's always taking care of things. He's the one, like, Devin is the one who would forget to go to summer school, yeah. you know? Um, so I understand that we need to explain, like, why he's in the school because we're not giving him up and that is the right call, <laughs> yes. you know? Um, and they made it funny and they tried to make it cute, but, like, but the thing is that the guy who doesn't go to summer school deliberately, the guy who has all the incompletes during his senior year, like for no reason that we really know, like um, that guy is not the kind of guy that, that a Willow yeah. is with. Yeah. You know, like, and Willow is obviously like clearly disturbed by yeah. it, you know, and he's like, well, I was hoping for, you know, eccentric, you know, with, <laughs> I a, think with it an was option cute. for yeah. cool. 
and she's just like, no, that's not that's not okay. And then that's it. And then we're just like, okay, that's fine. We just we just have Oz for another year, and that's the right yeah. call. You yeah, know, but but it's weird. I mean, it's it's yeah. very cute in a way that Willow mm-hmm. is the one who's excited about what their first homework assignment is going to be, and yeah. Oz is the one who doesn't get up until three p.m. and you know, yeah, is but. Willow's absolutely right. And she says, like, you're Mr. Test Scores. And it mm-hmm. just kind of yeah. like it. He was just last year. He it's was kind of a bummer was, that you know, the brilliant. It's kind yeah. of a bummer that Oz that, that we we kind of cram Oz into the story in this way. Um, right. Instead of retconning, like, you know, which because we had him established as a senior. Yeah. Right? He was a year older than Willow. And instead of retconning where he was like. You know, because I think what would have made more sense for Oz, honestly, is if he'd ended up taking too many courses, but they were all the wrong ones and he didn't meet his requirements. Like that I could see being an Oz thing to do. He's like, I was really interested in this. So I took that. Turns out I kind of missed a lot of my requirements. And so now I have to finish up. Like I could definitely see I could see him being like taking too many classes and taking the wrong ones or something like that. But but not. I don't know. It just it doesn't seem consistent with the guy who got pulled out, you know, by the feds in um, out of sight, out of mind. Yeah. Right? You know, to be possibly like alongside Willow because he was so incredibly smart and had done so well in all of his classes. Then again, I mean, last year was the year he discovered he was a werewolf. werewolf. Yeah. That can interrupt your ability well, to we, get like your senior and year. And we stuff say done. nothing about that. We're just yeah, and I think that that would have been, been very reason. funny too. Well, you know, yeah. remember how I found out like, I was well, a werewolf? Being a werewolf kind of screwed up. <laughs> you know. Exactly, being a werewolf kind of screwed up my like the same way that a medical condition would you know sometimes <laughs> oh. interfere with your school, right? Yeah, like that he's yeah he's like I missed some tests, I missed some stuff, you know, and uh, and also if he deliberately said. I wanted to stay an extra year here Aww. with you. I wanted to yeah. be here with you. I wanted to fight the demons and college will wait. You know, like that could have been a thing. You know, any of that could have been a thing except this like super casual irresponsibility that just doesn't. I know he's so zen. He doesn't care. Totally yeah. Zen and he doesn't freak out. But it's like it's it's not that he doesn't like care. I think he cares about things. I think things are important to him. I just don't think he freaks out or gets like anxiety over it the way that a lot yeah. of people do. And I say that with, you know, four fingers pointing back at yeah. himself. Right. Um, so I think that like, I don't know. It's just like it's not a big deal. I'm spending way more time <laughs> on it than we really necessarily need to. I don't care. I mean, Whatever keeps, Ze- keeps right. Oz in Sunnydale for this year, I'm, yeah. I'm all for. But it did feel a little bit out of character yeah. for him. Bottom line, we get us some Oz and that's wonderful. Yeah. And I'm so yeah. excited. So I I'm love Oz. Thrilled. Yes. <laughs> I know, it's so fun. Um, one little thing that I wanted to mention is that the guy who plays Creepy Ken is Carlos Jackot, who uh, actually was one of three actors who did the, like, Whedon Millennium Era hat trick uh, of appearing on Buffy, Angel, and Firefly. Um, so that was kind of fun. It was fun to see him. We we got a couple more of those as we run through, and we'll call them out when we see them. Um, but, okay, so this week for Anne, Noel, what are you wearing? I... I'm just in love with the styling on Lily. It's just masterful. Yeah. yeah her mm-hmm. her layered shirts have holes in them. And she's kind of greasy, but she's still wearing her red lipstick. And I just, yeah. I just love it. That character has my heart forever. And she looks so, so right on for this 
runaway, you know, yeah, former vampire really... cultist. I just love yeah. it. I love the way that Buffy's dressed. I love the no fucks given sweatshirts. I love the fact that she's slaying in sneakers for once. I mean, I get it. <laughs> she's stylish and she likes to wear the boots and whatever. But like just to have her wearing a sweatshirt and sneakers and not really caring. Like, you know, that's kind of like I just like seeing her kick ass in something that's comfortable and that is less likely to twist an ankle. <laughs> that is all. I'm, I'm a mother. She's young. She's the age of my daughters. I worry. I can't help it. It's part of me. It's part of who I am, which is why when I was young and watching it, I didn't really care. I was like, oh, she looks so pretty, you know. But now I'm like, honey, that's yeah. not safe. I know? love. So, and I um, love yeah. her little her little waitressing uniform and her, yeah. her little pigtail Aww. braids to keep her hair out of the way. Her she looks pigtail braids. Very, very. That, that was a nice choice, actually, the pigtail braids to make her look childish. Yeah. Even as she's taking on this very adult role yeah, as of, she's growing yeah, up. taking care yeah. of herself. Yeah. No, it was really nice. And she's also got the, you know, her hair is different. She's had the, the front bangs, uh, you know, lightly bleached. You know, so with the rest of her hair, it's it's a weird kind of like, you know, late 90s yeah, was, sort of hairstyle yeah. thing. Um, but, you know, but it's fun to see. And, I, you know, she's she's got some money from her, um, you know, from her work so she can afford to have it actually done. <laughs> Um, but, uh, but yeah, it's, it's, it's kind of nice to see. I love, I love the new hair that comes with the new season. I don't know why. I just, oh, yeah, I always enjoy yeah. the new hair. New season. Everybody gets haircuts. Well, I mean, back to school too. Willow's got her back to yeah. school haircut and her little hat, that little purple bucket hat that she wears in the I library. Know. What? What? So oh my cute. God, Willow. Oh my so God. Cute. I love all of her. I love all of her stuff. I think it's they... just adorable. Um, all right. So, what do we got for our Well, I mean, we have gross dudes at the diner being gross, but they're supposed to be gross. Yes. And we get, we get the patriarchy distilled into just the most fantastic ass slap noise. <laughs> that noise. Yes. Like, it's way more. Uh, you know, sharp and resonant than an actual smack on the butt. But we need right. to drive it home that this is absolutely right. the fucking worst. Mm-hmm. Um, right. I mean, you know, we've got we've got Ken being all smarmy and that like, I just want to mm-hmm. take care of all y'all. And but really, mm-hmm. I'm going to push you through demon goo into the forge of time travel or whatever. Yeah. It's icky. <laughs> it's all icky. Yeah. It's there's a there's a bit of that ickiness. All right, girl power moment of the week. What do you got? Oh man. The, okay. This isn't super girl powery, but I love it and I, I'm gonna throw it into this section. Willow mm-hmm. in the cemetery <laughs> trying so hard with the like, I know it's trying a so hard to be quippy and it I doesn't know. it just does not work. But she's she is on it, you guys. Like, when Buffy is away, Willow is the team leader, mm-hmm. which I really yes. appreciate. Mm-hmm. And I love the way, yeah. I mean, she's said, I think it's in, oh, now I don't remember. Is it in Becoming Part 2 when she says, I don't want to be our only hope. Let's find another hope. You know, yeah. she doesn't. Yeah, yeah that's I love that mm-hmm. Willow is the is the girl who doesn't want to be in charge, but 
if she needs to be in charge, she'll be in charge. She'll do the thing. Well, right, because she has the yeah. capability. She has the capability to lead, but not the will. And I think that actually makes her a much better leader, because if you're leading because it feeds some sort of sense of ego within you, um, probably not going to be as good yeah. a leader as somebody who is just doing it because they have the capability to do it. So I think that that's really great. Willow, of course, is always awesome. Um, I love the moment. Lily, who always needs people to take care of her, who can't take initiative, who, you know, when Buffy says, let's split up, says, oh, okay, can I go with you? You know, um, then she actually pushes Ken, like the baddest ass of all the badass demons, you know, pushes him off the platform Mm -hmm. and makes it possible for everybody to be rescued, for everybody to get out. Um, And I like that moment where she kind of grasps her own agency and autonomy and makes it happen. And I think that that's a really, really nice moment for Lily. I like that a lot. And of course, everything Buffy. No fucks given Buffy is my favorite Buffy, hands down. Oh, easily. (laughs) All right. So, Noelle, what's your favorite part? Um, Well, you you are going to go over what is my actual favorite part in a minute. Um, Because <laughs> I stole you it in stole the notes. You stole it in the notes. And it's fine. <laughs> I mean, you got there first. Yes. Fair and square. You stole right. it fair and square. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but the part I adore and quote all the time is that exchange between Ricky and Lily in the diner. You know. Yeah. Can we get cake? <laughs> Don't be stupid. We got to eat healthy. We can't have cake. Can we get pie? <laughs> Just, right. Well, pie has the fruit pieces it has, in it. Yeah, sure. I mean, it's so it's, it's, a it's so delightful, and I love I love um, Lily's relationship to sugar. I love that she's yeah. she is reaching for some kind of sweetness in this horrible existence of yeah. hers. You know, and she says that they yeah. give blood because you get a couple bucks, and they have cookies. And they have cookies. Like, yeah, 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 that's right, honey. You like you get that sweetness in any way you can. That's right. That's right. That is okay. All right, baby. Lonnie. So hit us with your favorite part, which is also the best part. Which is our yes. favorite part, exactly. Um, when the nurse comes in, shady nurse, you know, while Buffy's going through her things, and Buffy's like, I'm here, going through your private files, and then just pulls the phone off the wall when the nurse is going to call the police. She's just like, I have no time for any of your shady yep. nurse bullshit. I love yep. that whole thing. It's absolutely my favorite part, the best part of the whole All right, we're done for today, but the fun doesn't have to end. Join in the discussion on Twitter by following Lonnie at Lonnie Diane Rich and me at Noella Loud and use the hashtag #StillPretty. We love to see your thoughts and comments, and kick-ass Buffy gifts are always welcome. Or you keep Chipperish Media going to the tune of a dollar a month or more and gain access to the live chat and Discord where you can hang out with me and Noelle and all the Chipperish patrons who don't want any trouble. They just want to be alone and quiet in a room with a chair and a fireplace and a tea cozy. They don't even know what a tea cozy is, but they want one. Visit patreon.com slash Chipperish to find out more. You can also show your support by giving Still Pretty a great review on Apple Podcasts or by telling your friends about the show or by bargaining down to eccentric with an option on cool. We will be back next time with Dead Man's Party, the second episode of season three. Until then, I'm Buffy, the Vampire Slayer, and you are 